I grew up in a cult, and I stayed there, growing increasingly more loyal to it until the day I left when I was 19 years old. 19 is about a third of my lifetime ago now, but my former life in the cult still haunts me heavily. Every day my memories brew like a storm over my emotions. Not the kind of storm that you can stay dry in by staying close to the fireplace. The kind of storm that blows out the windows and floods the house. This storm, this haunt, used to immobilize me on bad days. The first years after leaving were my worst years. Sometimes someone would say the wrong thing, and their words would invert my emotions as suddenly and striking as if they had produced a lightning bolt from their throat. On those days, I would have to leave the party or wherever I was, because I couldn't bear to be alive at that moment. Now those moments are few and far between. The only thing that has helped me get away from the black times is a forever expanding distance from the cult, granted by time and cigarettes. These days, I rarely smoke, so I need another way to cope with the storm. Today, it will be this recording. Most mornings, I wake up from the same dream. I am in an organization housed in a massive secret complex with the sole objective of freeing other members of the organization. In my dreams, the members of the organization lie, they steal, they threaten my life, they lock me in rooms that I have to escape from, but in the end, the members of the organization crack and tell me that they need to escape just as much as I do. I grab their hands and we run. The complex looks like a maze, but I know where the exits are. As we run through the halls made of pipes, cement bricks, and faded neon, the scenery blurs, and then I wake up in my bedroom free, out of breath from running, both my hands empty. In reality, I was the only one who left. Before I left the cult, I consisted of two things, altruism and piety. These were valuable qualities to have. Before I left, I was treasured in some ways. My altruistic qualities allowed me to sacrifice my desires on a whim for a much more important cause. It was easy to sacrifice anything personal while I was doing my part to carve a heaven from this earth. While TV, radio, newspapers, and probably you were making fun of us, I was out there on the front lines saving your soul, and I couldn't have cared less what you thought about that. Piety gave me more than enough strength to do whatever my religion required of me. Piety was my truth, my desire, my hopes, and dreams. More than that, it was all my reasons for living and dying wrapped up into a solid stream of unstoppable energy. Though I was just getting started with my life in the cult before I left it, the people there thought I was destined for very big things. More than once in my life, adults or higher-ups hinted that I might be the reincarnated leader of the church. I assured them that I wasn't, but in those days I did feel more like a spirit than a body. I never felt the need to sleep or eat. I rarely felt any kind of pain, and I was creative. All I needed was a destination, and I could figure out how to get there. I guess I'm still that way, but I think a lot more about the direction I'm heading, which is always such a killjoy. Back then, though, I put my whole heart into doing whatever people said was best, because I thought they knew something beyond my own common sense. Simply put, I thought authority figures in the church had more divine ideas than I did. For a long time, it didn't occur to me that the people in the church I was following were totally out of their minds. To be fair, being totally out of their minds probably didn't occur to them either. Now I'd like to pause and switch gears and tell you where I am going with all this. What I just described was my life up until 2006 and 2007. This cult I keep talking about is the Church of Scientology. This is the most I've ever said about my life before 2007, and this recording might be the most I will ever say about it.
I'm not sure if anyone who could understand my experience in Scientology, for example, Scientologists, would believe what I have to say about my experience. This is because Scientologists would have not had my experience. There's only one experience you're supposed to have in Scientology. If you did not experience what you were supposed to, then it didn't happen. So my experiences in Scientology did not happen. A few months ago, I asked my father what he thought about raising me as a Scientologist. He told me that I did not grow up as a Scientologist, and he never allowed me to be a part of the church. According to him, if I did grow up a Scientologist, it was behind his back. This was an odd thing to say considering the evidence. Evidence like my lifetime membership to the Church of Scientology that was activated a couple days after I was born. Or a thick folder I discovered of Scientology practices done on me, dating back to an age when I was too young to speak. According to a page I randomly selected from the folder, despite being too young to speak, I was able to communicate that I had been a soldier of Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero. I didn't care to find out whatever else was in that folder before I burned it. However, I think somewhere in Scientology's archives, probably in Clearwater, Florida, although I'm not sure, there is a duplicate copy of the folder, along with other folders with my name on them. Clearwater, Florida, by the way, is where the Scientology Mecca is. In the old days, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, chose this as his home base because he could easily escape from there into international waters when various governments tried to take legal action against him. Clearwater, Florida is also where my family almost moved twice, once when I was two and once when I was 13. We came very close to moving the second time. My mother wanted to be closer to the church, but long story short, the church did not want to be closer to my mother, so we moved somewhere else where my family could continue practicing Scientology. Yet somehow, according to my father, all this growing up as a Scientologist was without his knowledge. I should also mention, I'm not sure where to insert this before I stop talking about myself, but... I spent hundreds of hours in my later teenage years inside the Church of Scientology. I spent most of those hours learning how to mess around with people's minds, as well as having my mind rest messed around with. I also first tried to leave Scientology in 2006, but somehow wound up in the middle of the desert instead, teaching at an off-the-grid Scientology boarding school that was home to some children of Scientologists who were most likely told to leave their children there so that they could be free to devote their entire lives to the church without distractions. After I found out that my parents were actually paying the school to keep me there, working 18-day weeks, 15-hour shifts for about $100 every two weeks, I fled between blizzards in the winter of 2006. From there, my story gets more complicated, though as I said before, everything that happened pre-2007 didn't happen, so I'm left with false memories haunting me like ghosts that howl in the wind. I've told you these small stories about myself because I want you to understand my credentials, and I also want you to get into the mindset that you need to have in order to pick apart another person's story. I want you to understand that the things I will say about her are not believable. They aren't happening. Just as nothing happened to me before 2007, the story of her current life is a complete fabrication. My story about her is mysterious, complicated, intense, and it's what this series is going to be about. Scientology's story about this woman is that there is no story. 
Between me and the Church of Scientology, the Church is the expert. They are the ones that know everything there needs to be known about this person. After all, how could I, someone who is not a Scientologist and never was a Scientologist, know anything about the wife of Scientology's supreme leader and how she hasn't been missing since 2007? Before we start investigating the disappearance of Shelley Miscavige, we need to understand what Scientology is. In the next recording, I will peel back some of the layers of Scientology to give you an idea of the world Shelley was living in, her unique role in the church, and why she might have disappeared. And now, as I'll frequently be doing at the end of these recordings, I'll let the Church of Scientology have the final word. This is from the Scientology Orientation film that I've watched many times throughout my life. Enjoy. Right this instant, you are at the threshold of your next trillion years. You will live it in shivering, agonized darkness, or you will live it triumphantly in the light. The choice is yours, not ours. If you this minute say, I will, for better or for worse, go on in Scientology, you will open the door to your own future. If you say otherwise, you slam tomorrow shut in your own face. I'm sorry, but that's the way it really is. We are not making any claims for Dianetics and Scientology. It is you who, when you've experienced what can be, are the one that will make the claims. What is true is true for you. In man's past barbaric ologies and religions, they told you that you were better. But you had to believe them. You had to have faith there was a possible recovery for you. That there were various gods and that heaven waits. And you were told by some that you were a one-life animal. And by others that hell yawned if you dared to sin. You had to believe them. Or you got burned at the stake. Or shot. Or flunked. You don't have to believe us or even trust us. If you work with Scientology, you will find out for yourself. What's true is what is true for you. You have a friend. He worked for half a century in a violent and often unkind world to open the gate for you. We are here to help you put yourself on the trail that leads up. If you fall off, we'll try to help put you back on. But it is up to you. It is how you use it that counts. For you are the one that counts. If you leave this room after seeing this film and walk out and never mention Scientology again, you are perfectly free to do so. It would be stupid, but you can do it. You can also dive off a bridge or blow your brains up. That is your choice. But if you don't walk out that way, if you continue with Scientology, we will be very happy with you. And you will be very happy with you. You will have proven that you are a friend of yours. We here in this org are really just doormen to the great highway found and built by Ron into a better future. 